0: Our first speaker is Ken G. Please go ahead,
1: Ken. Thank you. My name is Ken G. And I am a very grateful recovering compulsive overeater, sugar addict, alcoholic, and drug addict. Quadruple crown winner. Uh, Let's do the first five minutes. A capsule capsule of 78 years of my life. Uh, I was first brought up in Brighton Beach, Brooklyn, very near Coney Island. And I think that affected my brain being near Coney Island until seven years old. Then we went to Manhattan. Uh, My life changed after middle school. Why? Because uh, my parents said, uh, we found us. We found a public school. We can drop you off. They had a flower shop on 33rd and Madison Avenue. Um, And uh, it's free all you have to do is audition. I said, audition? And it turned out to be the High School of Performing Arts. So that guided me into the world of arts, which I never left. I did leave acting, however, after four years of um, uh, eluding acting and voice and diction, my first job was as a mime off Broadway. I said nothing nine times a week, eight times a week at that time. But I couldn't act drunk and stoned. So I did what all good alcoholics do, they change careers rather than stop. I saw people behind the camera running around having a great time, snorting things, smoking things. And uh, so I said, ah, that's for me, Uh, I'm gonna study film. And I went into the film industry and I never left. I'm very glad I didn't never left. It's an insane way to make a living, but uh, I'm grateful I I did it. So I was skinny for the first uh, 40 years of my life. I drank for 25 years and then almost died. And I was one of the very lucky people who went to a meeting, broke down in tears, and I never had another drink or drug. August 13th, I celebrated 38 years clean and sober and 37 years from my last three packs of cigarettes a day. And... A blessed five years of abstinence maintaining so let go of a little over 200 pounds i still have another 20 or so to go so i still want to trade in this this uh uh, that (laughs) first pack working on that um so uh let's see so then i got in the film industry then i had a quick uh, this was in the in the early days People were doing things they said, make love, not war, but make it in groups. <laughs> it was a crazy time in the seventies. And uh, I got married for a brief 10 years, much too young. When her parents said, what are you gonna do? I said, I'm gonna finish school first. Um, at the age of 30, I, can, I was still trying to work, find my way in the film industry. Um, I came home one day and uh, she said, I'm moving in a 30 year old guitar player tomorrow, please leave. I said, that's not what I mean by fixing <laughs> the marriage. She said, I don't care what you meant. You're gone. So that was terrible. Meanwhile, I'm drinking and drugging. Meanwhile, I'm not hungry, really. I'm only thirsty. And two years later, I met the woman who was to be my, my wife and give me three children. Wonderful grown adults now. Uh, Pamela. And um, <clears throat> excuse me. So I drank until I was 40. I got in to AA when I was 40. And I did what 90% of the men... Apologies, Ken. To... The interpreters ask you to slow down. A bit. Oh, of course. Sorry. I forgot. So I did what 90% of the men I know did, which is to drop drugs and alcohol and pick up food because there's there's still that hole in your heart. You has got to fill it with something. Um my wife was a gourmet cook that didn't help when we had people over for dinner they talked about that meal for a month later all the different courses and wonderfulness that was going on Um, uh, i didn't get fat right away but uh uh, as the uh as the marriage progressed and we had our first child my uh, wife Got fat and then never, never, never lost the weight. And so I I think that I, in self-defense, became an eating buddy and also got fat. Uh, And for other reasons, because when you talk about um, image, body image and so on, I was in the film industry and I was leaving a lot. I was going on location and location is nothing but food, food, food all day long. They give you breakfast. And then between breakfast and lunch, there's a table called the craft service table, full of food in case you get hungry between breakfast and lunch. Then they give you a big lunch. Then six hours later, uh, in between is another table, craft service table with different food on it in case you get hungry between friends. And, and then uh, if you work more than two minutes beyond six hours, they have to give you a hot dinner. And then, of course, I would drive back to the hotel and stop at Kentucky Fried and get two dinners uh, in case I was hungry later on. And what that did for me was to get me a little over 400 pounds. I'll never know how much because I stopped getting on a scale at 400. And there weren't too many scales that went up that high anyway. And uh, those of you who had been that high... I don't have to tell you what difficulties it entailed, but sleep apnea, uh, shortness of breath, not being able to walk up a flight of stairs and having to stop three times before getting to the top to catch my breath, uh, bending over to pick up a pencil, falling over and needing three people to get me up, breaking seats as you sit in them. It just goes on and on and on. I think I did that in self-defense because I wanted to be faithful to my wife and uh, there was always an opportunity. I was always around very beautiful women. And when I was a child actor, the actresses were all gorgeous. When I was in the movie business, everybody's gorgeous. Um, So I thought if I was not attractive, uh, no one's gonna hit on me. And as I look back and having done my step work often uh, yearly, I think that was one, of, definitely one of the reasons that uh, I was consciously looking for an ugly body image so no one wouldn't hit on me. Uh, but that was part of it. So, uh, well, the first time I can, the first time I got into OA, what happened? I had a honeymoon with OA. I had abstinence for four years. Um, at the end of that four year period, um, I reconciled with my brother, who we had lost touch with because he was a junkie Um, he uh, showed up uh, uh, five years uh, clean and sober and we reconciled and then he wanted to marry wife number six we have other compulsions in my family and it was in new york and he had to take a uh, blood test to get a marriage license and he came up hiv positive at the time that was a death sentence people didn't want to shake my hand for fear that they would get AIDS for me because my brother had AIDS. He lasted symptom-free about a year or so and then went into into a hospital and never came out. I took care of him and I was abstinent and I was faithful and I wasn't gambling and I wasn't drinking and I wasn't drugging and I wasn't, I was going to pass, go collect $200 and go directly to heaven. Uh, But watching my brother die of AIDS was really very difficult. So I said to myself, you know, I'll just change my food plan a little. And uh, so another reminder, Ken, to uh, slow down for the interpreter. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, I um, forgive me, Christine. I'll make amends later. (laughs) Anyway. um, I said, I will change my. It's so little, I'm gonna change my food plan. This is really difficult. And I needn't speak to my sponsor about it. And I didn't. And then I stopped speaking to my sponsor so often. After all, I had lost so much weight, I was thin. Um, uh, then, uh, I, then I stopped calling him at all. And uh, then I thought, well, I'm in very good shape. Uh, why do I have to go to seven meetings a week? That's ridiculous. So I cut down on my meetings and you can guess what happened next. Uh, uh, I went out and I was in and out for the next 15 to 20 years. I, I don't know. My sense of time is way off. Uh, <clears throat> the one thing I did do though, was I kept coming no matter what. Even if I was in a meeting and um Went to the bathroom and ate candy bars, and then came out and lied about my abstinence. I kept coming because I knew from my from uh, AA that the, the steps work. That uh, a, a miracle of uh, you know somebody crawling into an AA meeting behind three quarts of vodka a day could get sober and stay sober for many years. And why not with food? Well, as I learned, my PhD in alcoholism from the University of AA, not even one point transferred even to the kindergarten of Overeaters Anonymous. This is a different disease. I can say one day at a time, I will never drink again. One day at a time, I will never drug again. One day at a time, I will never gamble. I can't say one day at a time, I will never eat again. What we do is really takes a lot of courage. And uh, so I was slipping in and out all that time. The first time I got back into uh, OA was on a medical scare. scare. I took a stress test uh, on a treadmill and the doctor said, there's something wrong with your heart. You need to do another, one other test, a nuclear stress test. Come back in two weeks. So for two weeks, I thought I was a dead man because my mother had died of this disease, although the death certificate says stroke. She was told lose 60 pounds and you will live to be 100. She could not change the way she ate and she had the stroke they all said she would have. So it was compulsive overeating that killed her. So I thought, I am a dead man. I better get back to uh, uh, OA and uh, did. And uh, still struggled on and off and on and off. And I can, I wanna talk about body image relationships and sexuality. Sexuality, at 400 pounds, I have this image in my head of my wife and I. She was very heavy too. We both had sleep apnea because that's what happens when you know, there's so much fat around your neck. So a shot from above. As two people like beached whales in a bed, each one with a nose cone on and tubes going out to our pap machines, mine on my right and hers on her left. So that did not leave a lot of room for romance. And uh, uh, this, the, uh, the uh, uh, cut to not the last time that it came in where it worked, I still struggled on and off, in and out, uh, I was continued to lose a little bit, a little bit. I was, you know, I wasn't just out there totally, but I, I couldn't get it. I, I couldn't figure out why. I, I had so much AA program, but it didn't help at all. Uh, all during this horrible stuff, I was stone-cold sober. Uh, as, you, as you know, it doesn't help. So anyway, <clears throat> excuse me. What happened to me five years ago, was that I was walking down the street and just as what happened with Alcoholics Anonymous when I was walking down the street and it came to me that if I didn't go to AA, I was really dead. I would lose my family. I would not be able to make a living and I would die. And the same thought came to me. Now, you can look at it as the God of my understanding speaking to me. As a uh, spiritual experience, Uh, you can say it's a coincidence. You can say whatever you want to say about it, but it happened. I realized not exactly in a flash that I wasn't working the program all those years. I was not really working the program. I I did the steps I liked. I didn't do the steps I didn't like. I used the tools I enjoyed. I certainly didn't use, I never had a sponsee. I never did much besides put the chairs away. <clears throat> Excuse me. And drink a lot of coffee. Um, uh, uh, so I don't have an explanation for that. Some people say, well, it's a miracle. And I occasionally say it's a miracle. So what I realized was that unless I did the whole thing, unless I followed the instructions, as they are laid out in the instruction book, I would never get it. I have to do the steps, seriously. Not like not AA, OA, oh except I got myself a step sponsor. I knew that I never had a sponsee before. I started to get sponsees. I know that I had never done any service besides putting chairs away. And I devoted a great deal of time to becoming an uh, uh, intergroup chair and all kinds of things that I was up to.
0: Ken, you um, have five minutes left.
1: Thank you. So um, so in that five years, I got down to a normal body image. Uh, 11 years ago, I lost my wife of 36 years to lung cancer. And that was pretty horrible. But it did teach me one thing, which is that you could go through anything sober. I wasn't, I wasn't abstinent, but uh, it, I, it was a miracle that I didn't, I don't even think about that stuff anymore. I would like to be in the same place with food, if it's at all possible. Uh, I'm getting there. So I spent 36 years uh, with a woman frustrated, let's put it that way, uh, I was kind of an everyday guy, and she was kind of a once-in-a-blue-moon woman, and so we were not compatible on that level. Uh, also, she never lost the weight, uh, which is another issue. Um, uh, I'm happy to say uh, five years, uh, four years after she died, I, uh, another fantasy came true, boy meets girl in OA campus, and I met the, the, the true love of my life, <laughs> and we've been together eight years. Uh, she has 40 years of, uh, of uh, abstinence. And so we practice the program together, which is another incredible miracle. Um, having lost all the weight, I'm, you know, you're always, I'm not far from perfect. I have the big stomach flap that's there, you know, and other places that are flabby because you don't lose 400, you don't lose 200 pounds and shrink down to Mr. Universe. Uh, I, I want to end by, by just on one note uh, with OA-approved literature. I'm just going to read a few words from the big book. And it goes like this, slowly. To sum up about sex, we earnestly pray for the right ideal, for guidance in each questionable situation, for sanity and for the strength to do the right thing. If sex is very troublesome, we throw ourselves harder into helping people we think of their needs and work for them this takes us out of ourselves and quiets the imperious urge when to yield would mean heartache imperious means arrogant or uh, overbearing the bottom line in all program is are you helping someone or are you hurting someone when I look back over my sexual career my personal career I left a lot of bleaching bones in the sun, and I have made amends to everyone. I almost everyone I did that to. And two minutes. Um, thank you very much. So, uh, what is so what is what the miracle is for me is that now that I am a, a, a sane weight, and now that I've the last five years have been sober and abstinent, it has made it possible for me to have a relationship with another person with which I do not have to wear any masks whatsoever. And keep in mind, when I was a secret drinker, I lied every day of my life for 25 years. As I, I, the other day I was journalizing and I realized, oh, I'm journalizing, but this is nothing I haven't told Marcy. <laughs> so no masks, no lies, no anything. So, uh, um, so sober, abstinent, Sane weight, we, I apply the same principle. Am I hurting someone or am I helping someone? Because I've reduced this program to eight words. Do good, feel good. Do bad, feel bad. And I try to be the best person I can be, and be as kind and loving uh, uh, both in the rooms and out of the rooms and carry the program into my creative work life um and what it's done is uh, allowed me to stay abstinent allowed me to continue to lose and more importantly to have some serenity and some joy in my life as you all can if you stick with it if i hadn't in the last two seconds if i hadn't had that revelation five years ago i would be dead today instead i am living a life i never imagined i could thank you very much for letting me share And that thank is you
0: so, thank you so much, Ken, for sharing your experience, strength, and hope around body image, sexuality, and relationships. Our second speaker uh, is Christine. You're fine. Okay. Uh, our second speaker is Joanne, and Joanne, please come forward. Good
2: morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Joanne. And I am a grateful compulsive eater. I am going to try and share my screen just to give you a snapshot of where I can be in both spectrums of my disease. So on the left is me at my highest. That would be when I left my second marriage with a beautiful layer of fat to protect myself. Seven years later, two years into my journey, into 12-step programs for my food, that was me at my lowest. And on that one, I would, um, I've never been thin and I can see the sagging skin and the space, you know, on my belly and the space between my legs. And I can tell you then that I would run my fingers along my shoulder blades. And feel them protruding. And I loved it because I've never been thin. And then over on the right hand side, here I am today. That was me at my 50th birthday party. And what is for me a healthy body weight? And um, underneath is a photo of my muscles because I love my muscles. And because the last person I dated, but he didn't like too many muscles on a woman. It really was not feminine. So that's my little F you. I love my body and I love being strong and I love my muscles. So back to me. I believe my objective is to share my experience, strength and hope to tell you what I was like in the area of body image, sexuality, and relationships and what happened and what I'm like today. So I'll make sure that I can see Christine in case I'm going too fast. Thank you. So as a young girl, I would say I had turned to food. For self-comfort at a very early age. I've always had very odd behaviors with food. So, definitely, food is my primary addiction. And I would go to visit my father after my parents divorced, maybe at the age of 12, maybe a little earlier. And that would be my introduction to anything related to sex or pornography. And he had a collection of um, magazines, and I would read them, and then I would get turned on sexually. And nobody had talked to me about any of this, so I was very um, emotionally immature in this area of my life. So that's certainly when I learned what I thought a woman's body was supposed to look like. I learned how to give myself pleasure. Um, and then what i didn't know was any appropriate boundaries around this so you know in grade 7 i i brought a pornography magazine to school and i had no idea that we weren't supposed to do this and and i there's a lot of shame around that and and i would say you know i remember saying to a few close girlfriends did you know about this thing And if you do this, and if you touch your body in a certain way, you know, this is what will happen. And it feels really good. And I can show you how to do it. I had no idea what I was doing. But as I grew older, uh, one of the things that I can tell you happened. I was with a cousin, and I guess she told her grandmother about what I had said and done who told my grandmother and what came back down to me was I could never play with her again. So a lot of shame around those early first experiences around sex and sexuality. And as a teenager, I found alcohol at an early age, lost my virginity very young and then became very promiscuous. Uh, A lot of one night stands, And by this point, uh, my dad was no longer in my life. And I would do anything to be held, to be touched physically. I would. And then growing older, a lot of shame around that. So I found, uh, you know, I met my first husband on the rebound. Um, I knew that I didn't love him, but then I found out that I was pregnant. So we married, we had two daughters and um, I ended up uh, leaving him for a married man. And, you know, from a body image, relationship, sexuality, everything seemed fine in my first marriage. I, I don't really remember that being an issue, but I certainly didn't have that desire for him that I think we're supposed to have for a partner. And uh, when I met this married man, you know, we drank together and I remember him telling me that his wife wasn't able to orgasm and I could. So all of these warped instinct tied in with my sexuality and my worth as a woman. And, and that relationship, obviously it didn't work out. He stayed with his wife. I did a geographical cure, came back around the age of 30, got into my second marriage. Where I had two more daughters with this person. And um, one of the things that happened in that relationship was I felt like I had an obligation to have sex twice a week. That was my obligation. And uh, we would go away a couple of times a year. And on those weekends, you know, we would, um, so weird to look back at now, you know, he would want to have sex three times a day. And I would, and it's, and I did that for 10 years. And I remember, um, I remember this after my last daughter was born, uh, I had four daughters. He knew to the date Six weeks when my cervix was healthy and could have sex. I just remember that. I remember tucking the girls in at night and hearing those footsteps come up the stairs. And I knew he'd want that. And then I didn't want to, and I did it. And uh, towards the end, what was I doing? Um, I was drinking certainly, just to get it over with. And as you saw in my photo, I was developing a layer of fat. Looking back now, it was probably just, you know, keep somebody away from me. So I left that marriage after 10 years. I moved into this house when I turned 40. I got sober from alcohol at uh, 43. And then I was told uh, to get two years of solid foundation in that program before I started looking at the food. So I came into OA in 2015, and uh, I got 15 months of abstinence, but I still had that skinny head thinking. So I left and went to another program where it was weighed and measured meals, no sugar, no flour, nothing in between, and three outreach phone calls a day. And the reason why I did it was somebody who was in that fellowship talked to me about being skinny. And I had never been skinny my whole life. And don't get me wrong. She also did exude spirituality. And um, and I wanted what she had. Failing to mention she was a multimillionaire and had houses around the world. And I wanted all of that. I wanted to covet all of that. So I tried that program, but I couldn't maintain abstinence it was too difficult but I loved being skinny and that's where you would have seen that picture and around this time I got into a relationship with somebody who was uh, in another fellowship and he was obese and he had been in and out of this program and there were a lot of unhealthy messages that I received and I didn't say anything about And I know now that it was not okay. And this person had said his preferred weight range for women was between 120 and 125 pounds. And, uh, you know, that just piqued my eating disorder, my hyper-focus and body image. And he would compare my body to other women and So all of this sense of worth in who I am in the world fits into how I please a man, having a man, all of this. And that relationship didn't last. Um, Through another fellowship that I was in, you know, to deal with uh, someone who's still active in their disease, I finally found some key phrases such as, I'm not comfortable with this. I'll have to think about this. And it took me about six months to finally end that relationship. Now, what happened was six days before that relationship, I got abstinent again. And uh, and this is really what I'd like to focus my more of my talk on the solution and what I've learned by doing the steps. So, um, so for me, looking through the steps, I'm powerless. I know that I'm a compulsive eater. For today, my abstinence looks like my red list foods are those foods that I cannot take one bite out of without starting either the phenomenon of craving or a mental obsession. I have yellow light foods, which include sugar and flour. And I also have some behaviors that I abstain from, one of which is uh, abusing laxatives, over-exercising. And the last is uh, anything that I wouldn't eat in front of my children in terms of portions. So I had no problem. Step one, what did I think the food was going to do for me? Then what did it do for me in all of these areas of my life? Physically, socially, emotionally, sexually, and I think is it financially, but those five areas. So that was step 1. Step 2, can I believe that my higher power can restore me to right thinking? Yes. 3, am I willing to turn my thinking and my actions over to the care of that higher power? Yes. 4 through 9. So, this is what I have been learning. So, I have this step work that I do with my sponsor and It's really, you know, some questions that I ask around those basic instincts. And for me, these two have been really mixed up. My emotional security and my sex instinct have been overlapped and really messed up. So what do I mean by that? When my whole life, I thought my emotional security is based on a man. This is what, so the question is, what do I need to feel safe and trust in this situation? It was always a man, always. And then my sex instinct was what, how do I believe men and women should behave in relationships? And in there was all of my like warped, like beliefs about how often to have sex and blah, 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 blah. blah. So by doing my step work continuously, which means going into 10, 11, and 12, if I'm living in 10, that's when these big feelings come up, which is usually anger and fear. I'm sitting down pen to paper with my higher power and I'm looking at these instincts. So this is where we really start pulling this apart. So to understand where kind of this is where I'm at today, my, my sex instinct or my emotional security is no, 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 no. Today it's not on, um, what it, well, what it is on it's, am I living according to God's will for me? That's what I need in order to feel safe and secure in this world. And then my sex relation is how do I believe men and women should behave in relationships? It's nothing to do with sex. It's all the relationship. What are my instincts and my core beliefs, which is honesty, respect, communication, intimacy, all of those things. So, and then the other thing that's changed recently, and I've just started adding it back to the emotional security Is I do need to to see that the person that I'm with has demonstrated themselves to be safe over time, over repeated actions. Joanne, five minutes. Thank you. Now, what I know is if I've said step one, I'm powerless. I can't fix me with me. So I am doing step work where I bring it to my sponsor because I don't know what healthy is, but I certainly believe that when she and I are together doing our step five, that higher power is present and inspires her to give me feedback and insight and wisdom. So a couple things I just wanted to touch on. I was doing some uh, step work yesterday And I have my birthday coming up on Friday and I've just joined another fellowship over the last year, which focuses on um, the impacts of being raised in an alcoholic and dysfunctional family. So the step work yesterday is um, for me, what happened when I turned 16, I never heard from my father to this day. I still don't know what happened. When I saw him a few years later, I ran into him and he looked at me and kept walking. He didn't recognize me. So I then told myself, I don't matter. And from that time until the age of 49, I kept going to that person repeatedly to try to get that love from someone who felt I didn't matter. And I swear I've only really, that really sunk in yesterday when I did a harms inventory, who have I hurt? I've hurt myself. I've hurt those around me because by doing that for 35 years, I have created this neural pathway over and over and over that I don't matter. So I had this breakthrough yesterday. It's not that I don't matter. I don't matter to him. And this behavior for 35 years has reinforced that, which then makes me hyper-vigilant going out into the world with this preconceived notion, and people do things and it trauma it triggers this trauma response because I no longer have the food and the alcohol to numb all of this. And part of this was I realized that I never used my voice to him. And it's interesting, over the last 48 hours, I used my voice in a situation with my stepfather. And I used my voice in a situation with my daughter, my eldest daughter, and our relationship is we're going through something. And both of them came back to me. They love me. So I'm hopeful that what's beginning to happen is this undoing of that. And then as I use my voice in a safe way and surround myself with people that demonstrate consistently that I matter, but then I can have more gratitude, more joy for everything that I do have in my life. And God can really start undoing all of that old stuff because it's really not serving me anymore um yeah so I think that's where I am I could speak so much more on this topic um yeah but I think that's about it so I thank everyone for being here today and uh and I thank Ken and I thank everyone for their service thank you
0: thank you so much Joanne for uh doing service, and talking about your uh, body image, uh, sexuality, and relationships in a relationship to your OA experience. We sure appreciate that. I guess I forgot to turn on my video. I thought I had. <laughs> okay, this brings us to our question and answer period. What I would like to do is, if the audience would please. You'll see at the bottom of your screen there's a Q&A. If you click on that a screen will open and you can put your questions there and I will uh, uh, transfer them or I will ask the speakers. Okay um We had a, sh- uh, a question, Joanne, about yours, the, scre- the, the sheet that you showed. Um, it was sort of kind of quick. Um, can you just give us a little bit, uh, just maybe um, give us a bit more about that?
2: Sure. So this is um, a worksheet that my sponsor and her sister, and just in terms of my speed, do we still slow down for interpretation? Yes, please. And you have two minutes to share. So these are worksheets for step four, resentment, fear, harm, sex inventory. And it's basically taking the questions from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And what I was referring to is for each of the instincts, there are some basic questions. So when I first came in and I used a check mark. What part of self is affected self-esteem question or check mark today. That's not enough. I need to understand. So for example, self-esteem, what do I believe about myself and who I am in this situation? And so what it's allowing me to do by answering the questions are to identify, I have some basic needs and basic instincts something is happening. Usually I'm coming across a person. They're violating these basic needs. I have a reaction, which is all my step six defects, which leads me into seven. How would God have me be? So that's what I love about the questions because it really helps me to identify what my basic needs are in all of those three areas, the social security and sex instinct.
0: Thanks, Joanne. Okay. Um, It's hard to distinguish some of these uh, questions Okay, here's one for Joanne again. Sorry, Ken. Can you please speak on your abstinence plan, plan of action for compulsive exercising? I'm having trouble trying to exercise and recover because I still think about it as a body image or weight control tool. Thank you.
2: Thank you. So for me, the only reason I ever ran a marathon or a half marathon was to be thin and to get a t-shirt to show everybody, look at me. Did it have anything to do with the love of running? No, I don't like running. I like how my body feels. I like the endorphins. I like being slim, but I will say I'm being glib, but, uh, there's a certain charity that I would raise money for with those races. And that was important to me. So what does that look like today? Um, Can I exercise three to four times a week, maybe half an hour? Yeah. Can I do upper body, lower body, abs, some cardio? Yeah. Is that reasonable? Yes. I don't have to run a half marathon anymore and run on a treadmill for four hours. I don't have to do any of that. So I'm hoping that that might answer that question.
0: Okay. Okay. Uh, Ken, do you have um, something to to say on that about um, um, exercise and um, please go ahead
1: Yes um, first, in terms of the tools i I do everything. <laughs> it takes a lot of time and effort, but yes, I have an action plan for the day i have I try to do all nine tools or as many as I could do during the course of the day. I do a 10 step at night. I speak to my sponsor. Um, uh, I commit my food, not before I eat it, but at the end of the day of eating. Because for me, that's the truth. What I actually ate, not what I plan to eat. Um, <clears throat> in terms of exercise, before the pandemic, I was uh, swimming. I love swimming. I was swimming about uh, four times a week. And I could do uh, 1,600 meters in a little under an hour. And that's a little over a mile in a little under an hour. For a swimmer, that's not fast. But for somebody who was 77 years old, it's a miracle. And the second half of that swim, it's a long time in the water, boring. I decided that I would be a great time to do prayer and meditation. I couldn't get any calls. I can't make any calls. I can't speak to anyone. So why don't I speak to my higher power? Uh, I am very much looking forward to going back to swimming. I got my booster shot a couple of days ago, and I'm feeling confident enough with the uh, precautions that they're taking at my local Y to go back to swimming again. I've been doing exercises in between, uh, um, because when you can't, I'm, I'm trapped in a cage with a woman I love, so it's not so bad, but in terms of exercise, it's a little difficult. I was doing some minimal kind of stuff, and a lot of walking. So, uh, yes, uh, I can stay abstinent because I have a food plan that I'm comfortable with, uh, and I try to do everything that's in that book that it says to do. And for me, you know, I tried it, hey, and it worked. Holy mackerel! Thank you.
0: Thank, thank you, Ken. Um. I think, uh, Joanne, uh, this next question is, how exactly did you change your dependency on uh, on men and learn to lean on God?
2: <laughs> well, <Why>, I thank you. <laughs> I would say there's a slight assumption that I no longer depend on men. That is not the case. One of the things, it's always through step work. My sponsor has repeatedly said, switch it. Number one, God. Dependency on God first. Joanne second. And man or anybody else third. So what does that look like? Step one is my step 11, right? Prayer and meditation first thing in the morning, I end my day with it. Number two is me. So I can be with my new partner and feel that neediness and clinginess and, oh, I want him to come over and whatever, be physical with me. And I can feel it. This is what Joanne's second looks like. Hmm. How am I meeting my basic needs today? Sexually, what that means is, am I giving myself, I don't know if this is what you wanted in this panel, by the way, am I meeting my sexual needs Am I giving myself an orgasm or am I expecting somebody else to meet my needs? Financial. How, how, how's my debt? How are my bills socially? Am I making time for friends? Intellectually, am I reading stimulating literature, literature et cetera? So, and there's one more, I forget what it is, but that's my way in that moment to take the focus off of someone else and put it on me because it is up to me to meet my needs. And then when I do that in that moment, it usually does seem to dissipate. I hope that helps. Thank you, Joanne.
0: Um, Ken, I'm gonna put a, 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 a similar question to you and that is how do you change your dependency on other things? and learn to lean on God?
1: A very interesting question for uh, a non-belligerent atheist. So uh, I talk about the God of my understanding. We all have a different understanding of what God or higher power is. Uh, For me, it's working the program. Service has been a great, uh, could get me out of myself. Um, Prayer and meditation, I believe in the efficacy of prayer and meditation. I get on my knees in the morning and ask the God I don't believe in to help me through the day, and in the evening I get on my knees and thank the God I don't believe in for helping help get me through the day. Why do I do that? It's I'm following the instructions in the book. It says act as if, and so I'm going to follow that direction. Um, I put program first, uh, family second, and work third. It used to be exactly the opposite. Everything was work. And uh, very little was family and, and program. Um, when you do that, I'm amazed how the program works outside of meetings and in, my, in the workplace. Uh, a workplace is a, a, a misnomer for me because I love what I do and I've, I've done it for free and I've done it for thousands of weeks, for thousands of dollars a week. I still would do it for free. Uh, I love what I do. So it's another thing. Yeah, and I, what I forgot to mention before was in terms of sexuality uh, f- for those people who are seniors. I mean, I just turned 78, which I still, if acceptance is the key to serenity. I have not accepted that, but you can have SAS in your life. S A S S sober, abstinent senior sex. Absolutely possible because we can have love in our lives regardless of age it's just a number just like the number on a scale is just a number my body is not perfect but i still enjoy it uh, her body is not perfect and i still enjoy it that that's about love it's about emotions it's about respecting one another it's about standing side by side holding hands walking forward separately yet together not turning into one another and melding into uh you know, when uh, I just had an uh, out of out of uh, just had a um, uh, tragic accident happen and hurt life flashed before my eyes. That's dependency. We want to be we want to be our own people, and we learn how to do that in this program. We Learn how to deal with everything, whether it's bad or good. Uh, I'll end with this: this program is not about uh, is not about waiting for the storms to pass. It's about learning how to dance in the rain because the rain is going to keep happening. Shitstorms storms happen all, <laughs> weekly, but we learn how to deal with the tragic and we learn how to deal with the boring and we learn how to deal with the exciting without drinking, eating any compulsive suicidal behavior. And that's a great freedom and a great, a great uh, burden. So thank you again and uh, work the program.
0: Thank you, Ken. Um, This next question, and it's somewhat along the same lines, but um, can you expand more? No, sorry. That's something I was doing. Do you use a specific affirmation when you are having a moment that makes you believe the old way or not mattering or being a valued person? Uh, Ken, do you want to take that first?
1: Okay. Uh, do I have a, well, the serenity prayer happens a number of times during the course of the day. That's for sure. That's like a given. Mm. Um, I don't have a specific a- affirmation. Um, no, I don't have a specific affirmation. What happens uh, uh, is I use the, I use the fellowship. I, I, I try to make two or three calls every day to break the isolation. This is a disease of isolation. And um, uh, uh, being able to speak uh, being able to speak freely, truly freely, about significant things with the people who've been through, what we've been through, helps me that's a, that's, that helps me a great deal when some tragic things happening. And, and tragic things keep happening. Uh, people die, people lose jobs, people get hurt, people are in the hospital. Uh, uh, I used to need a really good reason to overeat, like a leaf falling or it's raining outside, or I reach the top of the staircase. Don't have to do that anymore. It's a tremendous relief, but it took me a long time. Everybody is on their own uh, their own pace. I have to say, I have a sponsor for 37 years in, in AA, and only two years ago, I asked him, I said, how many years of sobriety did you have when when you took me on as a sponsee? He said, uh, he's one of these dead and those kind of guys. He said, oh yeah, I had nine months. We're all on different, you know. We're all on a different scale. It took me twenty years to get this five years. I'm, I I don't regret it because all I have is today anyway. And uh, and uh, you and I don't know, yeah, the one hundred and thirty-five other people who are here, just and all my intimate friends out there. <laughs> but that's uh, I, it's relying on the program. It's putting the program first. When something happens that's horrible, I'm going to get to a meeting. I'm gonna I'm gonna You know, get on your knees. Listen, for a Jew to get on his knees, we got on our knees for the pharaohs. We got on our knees for the Nazis. And you're telling me I have to get on my knees for Overeaters Anonymous? The answer is yes. (laughs) It's important to surrender to the winning side. I just didn't want to be on the winning side for a long time. And once having surrendered to the winning side, it's working. Listen, uh, uh, Germany and Japan surrendered. Their economies are doing better than ours.
0: Thank and you. I'm going to stop you right now because we're coming towards the end and, and you're sort okay. of getting off topic a little bit. Okay. So uh, do,
2: do you have an affirmation, John? I can't speak to an affirmation. I can speak to a process. Where I'm at today is I'm doing a lot of trauma recovery. So what I can say is I'm being triggered my thought ba- so it depends if you don't have trauma, you know, as part of my trauma recovery process, I have affirmations, right? Bless them, change me. For me, I turn to scripture and I have many different concepts of a higher power, but there are certain scriptures that speak to me. One of which is Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. for I know the plans I have for you to prosper you and to give you hope. But I have to recognize that for me as a trauma survivor, in the moment I'm being triggered, this is not a cognitive thing that I can do. Even just having that awareness, this is from here, down. my body is having a trigger to pass trauma. And I do have a process to work through that.
1: And
0: the clock now. Thank you very much, Marlene um the the questions keep getting better as i go down but i i uh, i I have to close and i thank everyone in the audience for your questions sorry we couldn't get to them all um so again i'd like to thank our speakers for their uh their willingness uh to answer questions and to be on the spot and i'd like to thank um everyone who attended (laughs) who attended this panel session and uh, we'll close now with the serenity prayer. God, God grant, grant me the, the serenity, serenity to accept, accept the things, things I cannot change, the courage change to change, change the things, things we can, that we can and the wisdom, and the wisdom to, to know the difference. Thy will not can be done. Amen. Um, Thank jo- you, everyone. Joanne jo- I- and Ken, say.